Well, when I grew up going to school, teachers used chalkboards. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I hate chalkboards. I hate chalk. I hate chalk, chalk dust. I hate chalkboards because it never fails. When someone's writing on a chalkboard, they're going to drag the chalk in a certain way where it's going to make a sound. And it just, right, it just gives you chills. It's giving me the chills right now, right? Or that nail goes across the, the chalkboard and it just drives me crazy. So I want nothing to do with chalk. Nothing to do. I don't want to be anywhere near chalk or chalk boards. By the time I was in high school, college, they started transitioning to marker boards with, with dry erase boards. I can get with that, okay? But I don't want to be anywhere near a chalkboard or see chalk. When I was in school, they used these things also called overhead projectors. Now, I know some of you are like, what's that? Well, it's this weird box that had a light like the sun shine up out of it into some mirrors and onto a screen. And there are these clear things called transparencies. It's like a clear piece of paper. I know I just blew some of your minds. Okay. There's a clear piece of paper. You could write on it. You could print on it like a dry erase board. You could spray it and clean it. But if you were super special in the class, if you were the smart kid in class, if you were super special, if you were the good kid in class, what did you get to do? You got to go up and switch out the transparencies, right? For a teacher, okay? If you were the super spiritual kid, maybe in the youth group, you got to switch out the transparencies that were used with the worship slides on them, okay? So we, we've used transparencies before um, with, with these overhead projectors. Now teachers use these smart boards, right? And that's blowing my mind, okay? So that those things are wild. They're, they're crazy, all the things they can do with a smart board in in your class, here, here at church, we, we use things like that, like a projector with a screen where there's lyrics and words on it or verses on it, or like our TV where we'll have verses and we can draw attention to words and underline and, and circle things to, to, to bring out the truth. So you don't just hear it, you, you actually see it. Right now on our app, we have our message notes. You go to the City Church Lubbock in your app store, download our app, click message notes, and all the verses and the points are there and you can fill in the blank as as, as we go, we, we, we offer these things, teachers have offered these things as audio visuals so that you can just hear something, you could, you could see something because we, we learn in all these kinds of different ways, not just by hearing, but by seeing. And then like even right now with our fill in the blank notes by, by writing or typing yourself, there's all kinds of different ways that we've learned and that teachers or speakers have used audio visuals so that you don't just hear something, you actually see something. It engages you in a different way. Today, you're going to see Jesus give us some audio visuals of who he is and what he can do. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter four. We are in Luke chapter four. We've been going verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. And that's the way that we study the scripture and preach here. We preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're in the gospel of Luke. And we preach verse by verse to help us develop a depth of faith, of understanding of God's word so that we know the full counsel of God's word. We try not to just pluck verses out of context because that's very, very dangerous. You've heard me talk about that before. It's very dangerous. Just take one or two verses out of its context. We, we preach the scripture in context, verse by verse to develop a depth of understanding of the full counsel of the word of God so that we don't skip anything. And I believe as we study God's word this way, it develops not only a depth of understanding, but a depth of love, a depth of worship, a depth of mission 
that you just don't get otherwise. So we're not just studying Luke in here. We're studying Luke in our small groups. We call them city groups. They'll discuss these same verses this next week. Same thing in our daily devotionals that we offer on our app under the Bible study tab. We do, we write daily devotionals Monday through Friday that will take you through these same verses, give you some more commentary, ask you some questions, give you some things to pray about based on these verses. We're inviting families to study the scripture verse by verse with us as a family, as a family unit. And so we offer the table talk, which is under our Bible study tab as well. And that helps parents engage their kids with the gospel of Luke, with the verses that we studied that Sunday. And just to remind you, your kids and our students right now are studying these exact same verses. And it's in that way that we're trying to help you have a conversation as a family about what God is teaching you in his word. And we give you the table talk as a resource to aid in that discussion. We've said throughout this series that our hope, our prayer in studying the gospel of Luke is that we will all be drawn to Jesus. We'll all fall in love with Jesus all over again. Maybe some of you for the very first time. So many things in our culture are trying to pull us to the left or to the right. And in our moments here together, as we study the gospel of Luke, our prayer, our hope is that we're drawn up. We're drawn up to Jesus to get to know him and to understand his perspective. So Luke chapter four, Jesus has been baptized. He's been confirmed as the son of God by God the father. He's been tempted in the wilderness. He began his preaching ministry. We saw that last week. And today we're gonna continue to see him preach and minister to people and get a glimpse of what that looks like. And in doing so, he's gonna give us some audio visuals of who he is and what he can do. So would you stand? We're gonna be in Luke 4, 31 to 44, and Ashley is going to come and read the scripture for us this morning. Ashley? Hi, I'm Ashley Anderson. I'm married to Mitchell. We have two little girls, sixth grade, fourth grade, Tatum and Bryce, and I serve on the first impressions. All right, verse 31. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit cried out shouting, go away, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's word possess. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's house where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons and the demons came out at his command shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. 
Thank you, Ashley. You can have a seat. So in these verses, Jesus reveals, he, he proves that he is who he said he is. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Father, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus claimed that he and the Father were one. And he proved that, he backed that up by rising from the grave. Scholars have said Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. He is who he said he was. He was lying, he knew he wasn't the son of God. He was a lunatic, he, he was crazy, he really believed that he was, but, but he wasn't, or he is who he said he is, he's Lord. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. There's no other option. And Jesus rose from the grave, proving that he is the son of God. In our church, we have what's called the City Seven. The City Seven are seven foundational truths that remind us of what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And so in here, in our kids' classes, in youth, in our small groups this week, we're going to review City Seven truth number one, which says this, who is Jesus? I believe Jesus is God because, here's the why, Jesus said he is God and proved it by rising from the dead and appearing to his disciples, his brother James, 500 others at one time, and Paul. Jesus proved that he is who he said he is by rising from the grave, but he also proved it in some other ways. He, he proved it through miraculous signs and wonders like we read about in these verses. And if resurrections are possible, then all of these miracles that we read about, then miracles are a piece of cake for Jesus. If resurrections are possible, then all bets are off. If resurrections are possible, then there are no large and small prayer requests. Jesus said, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. There are no large and small prayer requests. So in these verses, Jesus gives us even more evidences that he is who he claims to be. And that he's going to do like we saw last week, that he's going to back up what he said. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to bring freedom for those who are oppressed. And we're going to see it in two different miracles today. Number one, Jesus has the power to deliver. Jesus shows us that he has the power to deliver. Now, there is lots of confusion in the gospels about who Jesus is. His own family doesn't know what to think of him. It says that his family thought he was crazy. They thought he was losing his mind, claiming to be the son of God, claiming that he and the father are one, claiming to be equal with the father. His own family thought he was crazy. The, the Pharisees thought he was crazy and they accused him of blasphemy saying you, a mere man, claim to be God. You claim to be equal to God. The Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus claimed to be and they considered him a false prophet, a false teacher because of it. They considered him to be guilty of blasphemy, which is why last week we saw they throw him off the cliff and they're gonna to try to stone him. It's why he ends up going to the cross. It's why they crucify him on a cross. It was because Jesus claimed to be God and the Pharisees didn't like it. They didn't know what to think of this guy. His own followers struggle often with, with who he is. Peter would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus would say, upon that rock, upon you, Peter, upon that faith, that confession, I'm going to build my church. Later, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to die and then I'm gonna rise again. And Peter's like, nope, no, you aren't. You're not gonna die. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. 
right? Moments of great faith, moments of great failure, moments of great clarity and moments of great confusion. When Jesus has risen from the grave, he's ascending to heaven. He's literally leaving earth and going up through the clouds, like up to heaven. And it says that many of his followers worshiped. It says, but some, some doubted. Like you rose from the dead. You're ascending to heaven in front of my eyes. That's pretty cool, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, it says that some of them still doubted. His own followers didn't know what to make of him. There's one group though. There's some some beings in the gospels that are not confused and are never confused about who Jesus is. It's the demons. The demons are never confused about who Jesus is. Jesus is. They know exactly who Jesus is. It's why they are scared. Did you sense their overwhelming fear in the presence of Jesus as we read those verses? They're they're scared. In fact, the demon's response in Greek, it's two letters, E-A. And here's what it says. Here's how you say it in Greek. Yeah! They were scared, they were terrified. Those two letters together in Greek, here's what what they mean. Here's the meaning. It's surprise mixed with fear. They were terrified. It was like saying, yikes. When I get scared, usually I say things like, goodness gracious, or oh my goodness, or something else I'm not gonna say in church, okay? So, but, but those are some of our responses, right? Mark Tatum, one of our pastors, he loves to scare me. He loves it. He's, he's done it multiple times in the time that I've known him. A little over 10 years ago, after church one day, he hid in the back of my truck. I started pulling out. I was leaving the church. He jumps out from the back seat of my truck, grabs me, and yells in my ear. I scream out. I slam on the brakes. And another one of our pastors comes running over to the car. I roll down the window. We're all laughing. And I yelled out something. We have a video of it. But I can't show you the video because... If you have any respect for me, I want you to keep it. <laughs> so he, he loves to scare me, all right? It was like a year ago in one of our staff meetings in a room just right behind us. We're all about to meet. And I'm like, Where, where's Mark, you know? And sure enough, he came in right behind me, grabs me and scares me. And they caught the whole thing on video. He loves to set situations up where he can video him scaring me. Okay, he, he's, he's a little sadistic, okay? So, so he likes to scare me. And when you get scared, you yell out in fear. You're, you're, you're terrified. That's what happens here with the demons. It's goodness gracious, right? It's yah. It's surprised mixed with fear. They're afraid because Jesus, the Holy One of God, has shown up and he has spoken. And when Jesus speaks, the demons are afraid. They're disturbed and they respond out loud and they speak through this man that they have possessed. Most scholars believe this man has been present in the synagogue before this day. His his presence there would mean that he's been present there before, but there's been no disturbance before. Why? Why had the demons not spoken out before this day? He's been in the synagogue before. Why hadn't they made a disturbance before? Well, it's probably because they had not been challenged before. They hadn't been challenged before. No truth 
had been spoken in power there. There had been no spiritual life there. And so Satan is present and he isn't intimidated in the least. But when Jesus shows up speaking the words of God, the demons are terrified. They respond, they're disturbed, they're overcome with fear. They're intimidated by the presence of Jesus and the word of God. It's like in Acts chapter 19, there's some guys, they're not believers, they're not followers of Jesus, but they know there's power in the name of Jesus. And so they come across a demon possessed man, multiple men, and they try to cast out this demon in the name of Jesus. And the demon speaks to these men and says this, we know Jesus and we know who Paul is, but who are you? Who are you? We know Jesus, we know Paul, who are you? And it says this, the demon possessed man jumped on multiple men and beat them up so bad that multiple men ran away scared and naked. It said they beat them up so bad they were ran away naked without their clothes. See the demons in that instance in Acts chapter 19 encountered no truth, no power. And so they aren't intimidated in the least. Here, they're terrified. They're scared when, when Jesus speaks. They're, they're shaken, and so are the people. It says that the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching because his words possessed authority. They had power in contrast to their rabbis who merely cited the opinions of other rabbis. Jesus' teaching had inherent authority because it was the words of God. You see, Satan is... Great and very comfortable in places where people have gathered around them teachers that just tell them what they want to hear. They don't preach the word of God. They just give you opinions and their own entertainment and their own cleverness and wisdom. Satan's fine with that. He's not intimidated by, by that in the least. And Paul said that in the last days we would see a great apostasy where so-called believers in name only would gather around them teachers and preachers who just tell them what they want to hear, that just make them feel good all the time, that do nothing but inspire them and encourage them. And there's nothing wrong with some of that in and of itself. The problem is when we just gather around people who just tell us what we like to hear, that don't ever offend us, they don't ever step on our toes. Paul said that's going to be the way that is. And the end, that before the end comes, people are just gonna gather around them, people who just tell them what they wanna hear. They don't preach the word, they just seek to be entertaining and give you clever thoughts. And this is a word to people like me, to people who hold microphones and stand in front of churches, that we should be devoted to preaching the word of God, whether someone likes it or not. That we must be devoted to preaching God's word because it's God's words that have authority. If I tell you something and it's not the word of God, there's no power there. There's no authority there. There's only power and authority in the words, the words of Jesus. In Nazareth, they don't like it. We saw this last week. They want to get rid of him. They want to throw him over a cliff. They want to stone him to death because they didn't like the truth that Jesus spoke. But notice the difference here in Capernaum. They don't want him to leave. In fact, when next week we get into Luke chapter five, you're gonna see in Luke chapter five, verse one, that the people are so hungry to hear the word of God from Jesus that they're pressing in. 
There's a crowd forming and they're pressing in and people are pressing in and Jesus is backing up and he's getting to the edge of the water and they get a boat for Jesus to preach from because the people are pressing in so much like a concert, right? Or, or like a stadium in a game. If you've ever been at a game and people are rushing the court or rushing the field and you're in front of them, you feel a lot of pressing, right? It feels like you're just gonna, you're gonna go with the crowd whether you want to or not. It's the same way in a concert. If you've ever been at the front of a concert, like on the floor where there's no seats and people are trying to get up close to the front, you're gonna feel people pressing on you. They're pressing in, trying to get to and to hear the word of the Lord. It's quite different from the response in the American church over the last 50 years, isn't it? We, we sit back. A lot of times we could care less. A lot of times we're looking at our watches. And we're thinking about that football game that's gonna be on later. Thinking about that restaurant we wanna get to because maybe we're a little hungry, right? We're just kind of checking off our box and our religious duty, just kind of showing up to kind of hopefully appease God and make him happy or it's because what, what I'm supposed to do. There's a hunger here. I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if you can see that the hunger, the thirst here for the power and the word of God. They don't want him to leave. They're stay, they're stay. And the crowd is forming and they're pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, to experience the, the power of God. And, and here's what's interesting here. That when Jesus speaks, the, the people are shaken and the, the demons are shaken and there is no fight back. There's no battle here. There's no argument here. This isn't the exorcist. No one, no, there's no demon putting up a fight in the presence of Jesus. This is a one-sided battle. Jesus says, come out. And Luke says, their response is, you are the son of God. Did you catch that? Luke said that when Jesus would cast out these demons, they would leave saying on their way out of the person that they had possessed, on their way out, they say, you are the son of God. And I was like, what, what, what's going on there? Why are they saying that like on their way out of the person that Jesus has commanded them come out of? You are the son of God on their way out. So I'm studying, I'm praying, and it was like it just kind of hit me all at once. They're saying, yes, sir. Jesus says, come out. There's no fight, there's no battle. Their only response is, yes, sir. You're the Holy One of God, you're the Son of God, you're God. We have no choice. There's no fight, there's no battle, there's no argument. It's only yes. Sir, you see, other religions will teach us dualism. Dualism teaches that there's this kind of equal and opposite battle between good and evil. And so we see it in things like the yin and the yang. We, we see it in pagan religions where the good leader and the evil leader kind of fight each other back and forth for, for power and rule and authority. But make no mistake, the Bible teaches the absolute sovereignty and rule of God. It is absolute. And that Satan, that evil, is more like a mosquito. There is no battle. There is no war. 
There is no equal and opposite power to Jesus. And then yet at the same time, miracles like these, verses like these pull back the curtain and they allow us to see into a spiritual world, into a spiritual battle, a battle that you and I can struggle with and struggle through because of our own weakness and limitations, because of our flesh, because of our fears, because of our insecurities. We can battle, but make no mistake, there is no battle for Jesus. So, so here's what we don't wanna do. We don't wanna ever underestimate the battle, the spiritual war and battle that some of us are in. But yet at the exact same time, we cannot overestimate the power and authority in the name of Jesus. The demons understand that Jesus can and will destroy them. Have you come to destroy us? Is it time? They understand it's just a matter of time. Have you come to destroy us? Jesus said it like this, who can go into a strong man's house, tie him up and plunder his goods? Who could do that to a strong man? Speaking of the devil, who could go into a strong man's house, tie him up and plunder his goods? Jesus says this, only a stronger man and Jesus says, I am the stronger man. I'm the stronger man who's gone into the devil's house. I can tie him up and I have plundered his goods. There is no war. There is no battle for Jesus. There is no argument. Jesus is the stronger man. And so while we'll never underestimate the battle, the oppression that a follower of Jesus, not, not possession, but oppression a follower of Jesus might experience. While we'll never underestimate that, at the same time, we're never gonna overestimate the power and authority in the name of Jesus. So number one, Jesus reveals that he is who he says he is in his power to deliver. Secondly, Jesus reveals who he said he is through his power to heal. Jesus has the power to heal. And we make that distinction here because Luke does. Luke says some also in the ESV translation says this, some also had demons. Luke clearly distinguishes here between the casting out of demons and healing of sickness, showing that not all diseases or sickness are due to demonic power. Not that the demon possessed won't manifest itself in some sort of sickness or illness, but they're not one in the same. And Luke makes a distinguishing difference here between healing and the casting out of demons. Now, in this day, in this time, in this culture, if you were a religious Jew, you thought that someone was sick or had a disease or was lame or was poor because of their sin or their parents' sin. You might remember Jesus is walking with his disciples. They see someone who's lame and they ask Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that this man is the way that he is, that he's suffering in the way that he is. And Jesus says this, it wasn't about him or his parents' sin. He's not lame because of what he did or what his parents did. Jesus said, this has happened to this man so that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. So in miracle and in sickness, in disease, in injury, no matter what is going on, God is using all things. Once again, I'm gonna remind you, God is using all things for our good and his glory. Joseph said it like this, what the devil meant for evil, what you even meant for evil, speaking to his brothers, God is going to use for good, for our good and for his glory. Now make no mistake, 
all brokenness, sickness, natural disasters are all the result of sin. In Genesis chapter three, the curse of sin, the fall of man and the fall of this world, God makes it clear that this land, this world and our bodies have been cursed because of sin. And so this world and our bodies are dying and will die one day because of the curse of sin. But Jesus telling his disciples in this moment, what, what he's trying to say is he didn't do something that caused this. This isn't some sort of punishment because of the sin in this man's life. It doesn't mean that you and I don't experience the just consequences of our sin sometimes. Jesus is just saying, that's not what happened in this, this situation, not in this instance. Well, after preaching in the synagogue, Jesus goes to Peter, Peter's home, Simon Peter, and we learn that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The, the first pope, Catholicism teaches that Peter was the very first pope. The first pope is married and therefore not celibate. So just make a note of that, first of all. Secondly, and maybe the bigger question here is, everyone is begging Jesus to heal Peter's mother-in-law. My question for Peter, was Peter like, yeah, healer? Or was Peter like, eh, I mean, you know, 50-50, okay? Now, not my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is awesome. She's a prayer warrior and uh, she goes to our church and she's amazing, okay? But, but maybe you could put yourself in Peter's shoes. I can't, maybe you can, all right? But, but here's what's interesting. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law and here's the evidence of her healing. She gets up immediately and begins to serve. She gets up immediately and begins to serve Jesus, almost as if her getting up and serving not only is an evidence of her healing, it's a part of her healing. It's part of walking in healing in Jesus' name, serving other people. It's not only a result of healing, it's a part of walking in the power of Jesus. You serve other people. She got to work in Jesus' name. Luke indicates there's this large crowd of people that now are following Jesus. They're wanting and waiting to be healed. And I love this. Though it, Luke says notes, though it was late and the sun was setting and there's a large crowd of people that are still wanting to be healed. I love this. Jesus didn't perform some sort of miraculous, instantaneous Benny Hinn group healing. Whoosh, right? He doesn't blow on a crowd. He doesn't wave his hand over a crowd. What does Jesus do? He pays individual attention to each person. It says he laid his hands on each and every one of them and healed them with compassion. Jesus revealing the heart of the Father to have an interpersonal, one-on-one relationship with each and every person that he takes the time, it's late, the sun's going down. He's been working and preaching all day long. And he takes the time with each and every person to lay his hand on them to personally and individually heal them. These miracles that Jesus performs, this miracle of deliverance, these, these miracles of healing, Jesus calls them signs. The gospel writers, call them signs. What does a sign do? A sign points to something, right? 
A, a sign isn't there in and of itself, right? A, a sign doesn't point to itself. A sign points to something else. It, it points to a deeper reality. A, a, a sign of direction points to somewhere you want to go, somewhere you ultimately want to be. In other words, a sign doesn't end on itself. You, you're, you're not happy with having a sign. No, you want to be where the sign points, and the same is true with these miracles. They're called signs in the scripture. They point to something. So, so something's happening here in these miracles that the scripture calls them signs. And so they point to something else, which means they, they point to something bigger and better and greater than the sign itself. And so two takeaways I want to give you this morning from these verses about these signs. They they reveal this deeper reality about Jesus' nature and authority in the kingdom of God. And so here's, I want you to check these. I want to make sure you catch this. Number one, Jesus' physical deliverance and healing point to a future deliverance and healing. It's a sign. And so it points to something. So these signs, these physical deliverances and healings are pointing to a future deliverance and healing. These signs are foreshadowing the coming kingdom of God. Where the scripture says this, this coming kingdom of God, this new city, Revelation calls it the new Jerusalem, is going to come down out of heaven after Jesus returns. It's going to come down out of heaven to earth. The old earth is going to be gone. It's going to pass away. The scripture says Jesus is going to make all things new. There's going to be a new city come down out of heaven from God. The new Jerusalem is going to come to rest down on a new earth where you and I as followers of Jesus will have new glorified resurrection bodies. So, so this is the kingdom of God that is to come. New city, new earth, new bodies. And here's what Revelation teaches us about the new city, the new earth, and the new bodies. This kingdom that is to come where Jesus will rule and reign with absolute power. That in this kingdom... There will be no more evil, no more sickness, no more sin, no more death, no more sadness, and no more tears. Revelation, Jesus says in Revelation, all these things are gone forever. That's the old system. It's broken. It's cursed by sin. All those old things that have been cursed by sin are gone forever. Behold, the new has come. New city, new earth, new bodies. That is our future deliverance and healing for those of us who call Jesus Christ Lord. And so what we get a glimpse of now in the scripture, in these healings and in this deliverance, what we're getting a glimpse of is just a sign that points to the experience that we're going to have in the fullness of the kingdom of total and complete forever deliverance, total, complete, forever healing. We get a glimpse now. We get a glimpse of it in the scripture. But it's a glimpse of what we're going to experience in the fullness in the kingdom of God that is to come. One commentator said it like this. Jesus was able to cast out demons and sickness with a word. And so watch this. Jesus' triumph over sickness and demons was a clear indication that God's kingdom was breaking into the present age in a new and decisive way. Jesus said, I've come to preach the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom has come. And the evidence, 
the glimpse of the kingdom that we get now points to the future glory of the kingdom that is to come. In Acts chapter one, you might remember the disciples saying, Jesus, at this time, are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? Are, are you gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and the places. So the kingdom, Jesus says, has come, but then it hasn't fully come yet, apparently. So the kingdom has come, it, it, it is coming as the gospel spreads throughout the nations. It has come, it, it is coming. And then Jesus lets us know too, it, it is coming. It's going to come in its fullness one day. And what we see now is just a glimpse of the fullness that is to come one day. Scholars call this the already but not yet. That we already see glimpses of the kingdom of God. We see our deliverance from sin. We, we see supernatural miracles, even in our own day. And all of these things reveal and they show us the already aspect of the kingdom that point to the not yet fullness of the kingdom of God. Already, but not yet. It's a present reality. And at the same time, it's a future hope. It's both and. And so then the question is, what is God waiting for, right? If the kingdom is yet to come, if God's gonna get rid of all of evil and sin and sickness and suffering, he's gonna get rid of all those things and the new is going to come, he's gonna put an end to all of those things forever, then what is God waiting for? You, you may have heard it like this. If God is all powerful and God is good, if those two things are true, then why does God continue to allow suffering and evil in our world? Why, why does he allow these things to continue to happen if he's good and he's all powerful, why didn't he put a stop to these things? The scripture tells us why. Because he's being patient, not wanting anyone to perish. You see, what most of us don't realize is that we're in a hostage situation. Every person that doesn't know Jesus, they're, you're in a hostage situation. Before you knew Christ, you, you were a hostage. The scripture says you were a captive to the devil. And when Jesus returns and put an end to evil forever, those captives are gonna go away with him. And because God is merciful and patient and loving, he wants as many as possible. The scripture says he wants, he wants everyone to come to repentance to believe in his son, Jesus. So he's being patient, revealing his son to the nations that we might trust in his son for the forgiveness of our sin, like Jesus said last week, so that we are captives by our sin and death and the devil so that we might be set free. It's a hostage situation. And because God is loving and gracious and merciful, not wanting anyone to perish, he's waiting. And Christian, I bet you're glad he waited for you. And so we're gonna pray for God to give us the faith, the trust, the perseverance to, to wait for him to return, to wait for the fullness of this kingdom so that as many people as possible can be set free. So the captive, so the hostage can be set free. So Jesus' physical deliverance and healing point to a future deliverance and healing. And then last, Jesus' physical deliverance and healing point to a greater deliverance 
and healing. Jesus' physical deliverance and healing, it's a sign, points to a even greater deliverance and healing. The, the crowds are loving Jesus, right? They're, they're wanting him to stay. He's, they're, they're trying to make him king and he leaves. He takes off at the height, at the height of his popularity in Capernaum. They wanna make him king and he leaves. Why? He leaves at the height of his career opportunities. Jesus says, that's not why I came. People are waiting to be healed. More and more people are wanting to be healed. They're wanting him to stay. And Jesus says, I can't, I can't stay. And he says this, I, I've got to go to other towns too and preach the good news of the kingdom there because that's why I have come. That's why I came, to preach the good news. The, the, the miracles, the marvels just, just point to the message and give authority to the message. I came to preach the good news, to set the captives free. We're going to see the same exact idea in Luke chapter five, where people are wanting to be healed and Jesus is healing. But, but then he leaves and he says, that's not why I've come. I got to go preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why, that's why I've come. So, so here's the really, really difficult tension in the gospels. And, and every last one of us have experienced this in our own lives. Some people get their miracle some people don't. In this life, some people get their miracle and, and, and some don't. And, and I'm going to say it like this to help us understand this. Some people get their temporary miracle and some don't. And you, you might say, what, what do you mean by temporary? How, how is it a temporary miracle? All of these people died of something. They're not still here with us today. And some of the people that experienced these signs, these miracles, didn't get to experience the greatest miracle of all that these miracles were pointing to. You see, the greatest miracle of all is the message that you could live even after dying. Luke makes it clear that Jesus' priority is preaching. It's not necessarily healing. The marvels, the miracles just point to the message. They give authority to something even greater. And so we don't chase miracles. We chase Jesus. And when you chase Jesus, you know what? Miracles often chase after you. So we chase Jesus, not the not the miracle itself, knowing and believing that the greatest miracle of all is the message that you can live even after you die by placing your faith in Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of the life. You put your faith in me, you will live even after dying. And that's the greatest miracle of all. And that's why Jesus performed these miracles was to point to the greatest miracle of all. I, I told you that 20 years ago, I was doing youth ministry and one of my other students, who's grown and married and has her own babies. Her, her, her mother passed away a couple weeks ago. And th this woman was an amazing woman. She, she was one of our first, my first youth workers. I, I was a brand new youth pastor. I was 20, 21 years old. And her and her husband were very near and dear to our hearts. They supported Darby and I, they prayed for us. They served alongside us. We, we love them. 
We love their kids as they grew up in our youth ministry. She died a couple of weeks ago. And her daughter, Morgan, posted this about her mom on Facebook. Here's what she said. They were, they were going to the viewing that night. And here's what she said. Our prayers have been answered. Join me in praising our Lord. My mom checked out of the hospital. She's going to a party that has been prepared in her honor in the presence of Jesus, our blessed savior. I thank each of you for your continued prayers. And I can truly say I mourn the loss of her presence, but praise the Lord for her ultimate healing. I will see her again. Man, I, I love that faith that says, I'm gonna praise God for my answered prayer. We got our miracle. My mom got her miracle. She got the greatest miracle of all, to rise from the grave. Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's the greatest miracle of all. She got her miracle. Her mom got her miracle. It's the greatest miracle of all. And listen, I want you to experience the greatest miracle of all. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day, now is your time. Give your life to Jesus so that you can be forgiven of your sin, you can be made right with God, and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And if that's you, and you want the greatest miracle of all, give your life to Jesus today. And then jump on our app, fill out our connect form, and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. Our big idea is this, there's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to deliver, to heal, and to save you from your sin. There is power in the name of Jesus. And every last one of us need to experience that healing, delivering, saving power. Some for the first time, some of us today, all over again. In Acts chapter three, Peter says it like this, there's complete healing in Jesus's name. Complete healing, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. There is complete healing available in Jesus's name, Peter said. All things in this life are subject to Jesus's word, will, and reign. All things. But here's what's interesting in these verses we've read. Jesus has the power, but the crowds came to him. It takes some humility, it takes some honesty, it takes some transparency to come forward with your bondage, with your struggle, with your hurt, with your pain, with your illness, with your brokenness in your marriage, in your family, with your addiction. It takes humility, it takes a step of faith. And we're gonna invite you to take that step of faith this morning. Pastor Barry's gonna come here in just a second after I pray and talk to you about what we're about to do. But we're gonna be here this morning to pray for every last one of you that wants it. But before I close, I want you to see that to experience healing, there is an element of your own acknowledgement that you need the healing in order to experience the healing that God has for you. And so whatever it is, we're gonna ask you to acknowledge that, to humble yourself, to come forward and have one of our prayer team members pray over you. 
for whatever the healing or deliverance it is that you need. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that right now in this moment, you would demonstrate the Holy Spirit's power. God, that you would give us the humility, the the honesty, the the transparency, God, to acknowledge the, the brokenness or the sickness or the deliverance, the healing that we need in the name of Jesus. Would would you humble our hearts? right now? Would you soften our hearts right now to the moving and the working of the spirit right now in this moment? And then God, I pray that in this moment, these moments we have together, God, for the rest of our time, would you surprise us? Would you surprise us with the Holy Spirit? Would you surprise us with the power that's in the name of Jesus to set people free, to set the captives free, to bring freedom to those who are oppressed and broken and hurt? God, would you do those things in the name of Jesus, for the good of your church and for the glory of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.